But now we're going to read from Ephesians chapter 2, the passage that we're going to be looking at this morning, which is on uh, page 1,159 in uh, the Pew Bibles, 1,159. And we're going to read the first uh, 10 verses. Where Paul writes this, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Oh, may God bless his word to us. Let us pray, shall we? Father, we do uh, thank you for your word. We thank you your word is true in all that it affirms. We're so thankful of that, our Father, in a world that is so full of lies. But we can turn to your word and we have your truth. But Lord, we need your spirit to work in our hearts, to reveal truth to us, to affirm it into our souls that we might be submissive to you. And our greatest desire will be to serve you. So, Father, speak to us, we pray. In this time together, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I don't know about you, but in my Christian life, uh, the days turn into weeks, the weeks turn into months, months turn into years, and so on. And uh, you look back and you kind of wonder, well, what, what's happening? What's, what's changing Uh, And sometimes life seems pretty much the same from one month to the next, from one year to the next in so, so many ways. But yet when we look back and we think about what God has done for us in saving us, then it reminds us, as we just sung, how vast the benefits are that God has poured out upon us. And if we're a Christian, then incredible things have happened to us God has done amazing things for us surpass anything else in this world that it has to offer so this morning we're going to look at this passage and it's a kind of general overview I I suppose of of, of what's happened to anyone that is a Christian and then uh, this evening uh, I hope you're able to come along this evening I do invite you to be here this evening We're going to be looking at the first 11 verses in uh, Philippians chapter 3, which is one of Paul's testimonies. So 
Paul, having taught us here uh, about generally what it is to be a Christian, we're then looking at one of Paul's testimonies that we find in Scripture, this one in Philippians chapter 3. So uh, in these verses, we have very simply spelled out for us what we were before we were Christians and what we now are as Christians, the incredible change that there has been. So in terms of what we were before we became Christians, there are, there are three things really to, uh, to focus on. The first is there in verse 1, where Paul writes, As for you, you were, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins. So that's the first thing. We were dead. Before we came to Christ, we were dead, spiritually dead in our sins and trespasses. So the, the, the picture here, the imagery here is, is not of a hospital, you know, where we're sick. Uh, not even of a hospice where we're kind of dying, but we've still got some life in us. But rather of a mortuary. Spiritually dead. No spiritual life within us. Paul says we were dead in our trespasses and sin. So we've got, we've got two words there, trespasses. Uh, that, is, uh, that means you know, when we cross a boundary or where we deviate from the path that we ought to be on. So you know, here's some lovely grass and it says keep off the grass. And we step over onto the grass. We've crossed the boundary. Trespasses. Or sin, which means kind of missing the mark. You know, you aim the arrow at the target and you miss the mark. Or, or you fall short. You don't quite get there. You fall short. Now, John Stott, in his commentary on Ephesians, says that these two words, trespasses and sins, they cover all of our sinfulness. Uh, trespasses relating to what we might call the sins of commission, things that we willfully do, we knowingly cross over a boundary. And then sin, the sins of omission, things that we don't do, that we ought to do. You know, we fall short of what we ought to be before God. So we are dead in our sins and our trespasses. And it's been like that uh, ever since the first man, Adam. Adam was told, if you eat if, the tr if that tree, if you eat of that particular tree, then you will die. And he ate the fruit of the knowledge of, tree, of, 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 of life. And he, and he died. Spiritually, in that moment, he died. And so he and his wife, Eve, were cast out of the Garden of Eden. They died. And of course, inevitably... Physical death started to work within them, so they inevitably physically died. Uh, a lot longer lives than what we have, but inevitably death comes physically. But it begins with that spiritual death. Now, that gives us a problem, doesn't it? Because if we're going to become a Christian, we've got to repent and we've got to believe. Repentance and believing, they are acts of life. But we haven't got any life. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. But we will see how that's dealt with 
uh, in a moment. So that's the first thing. We were dead in our sin. The second thing is we get in verse 2 where Paul says this. uh, We were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world following the prince of the power of the air the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience Uh, there are are three things really here which will lead up to one conclusion but the the first is this Uh, we were following the course of this world the course of this world now there's something to discuss isn't there What is the course of this world? What are the features of the course of this world? Well, again, if I can uh, quote another uh, commentator, John MacArthur, he identifies, particularly in our current age, I suppose it might vary, mightn't it, from age to age, from culture to culture, what the things are that particularly grip the hearts and minds of people at that time. He says, in our own culture, there are three things, uh, particularly, he, he says, illicit sex, well we know what that is he talks about materialism we know how people are obsessed with things do you ever look around your own house and think got so much stuff what do i need this all this stuff for we live in a very materialistic world and then the third thing he identifies is humanism now let me just say a little bit about humanism humanism is where you know self is put at the center uh, I sang a song that I've not sung before uh, a while back, and it has the line in that says, "You may know that you may know this song very well, but it has the line. It says, "I am who you say I am." Now that's it, isn't it? We are who God says we are. We are who the Word says we are. The world has turned that upside down, isn't it? Now. I am who I say I am. So we have all the uh, furor and the uh, the ideology around uh, transgenderism and all the rest of it. We are who we say we are. That's the world in which we live. Centered upon self. Humanism. These are the ways of the world in which we live today. Illicit sex, materialism, humanism, it dominates what we are the second thing he's, he, he also talks about is uh, following the prince of the power of the air following Satan the power of the air which is a, a phrase that refers to Satan's hosts of demons And before we became Christians, we were ruled by that. We followed that. Now, you might think, really? I, you know, I didn't even believe in Satan. You know. But what does it mean? Well, it, it kind of means that Satan was our father. And do you remember Jesus said to the Pharisees on one occasion, you do what your father tells you to do. Satan. Well, it means kind of following 
following the family likeness, as it were. That's, you know, if you've got a father, there's a family likeness, isn't there, that comes down to you. And what, what, what is Satan? He's a rebel. He's in rebellion against God. And before we become Christians, that's what we're like. We're following Satan. We're in rebellion against God. And then thirdly, and this is really what, this is what it all leads up to, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is in now at work in the sons of disobedience. Now the ways of the world, being ruled by Satan, they, if you like, are uh, influences from outside that come upon us. But now being ruled by disobedience, this is something that Paul is talking about that is within our own nature. It's what we are. Ruled by disobedience. So this is my, my second point. First of all, before we become restrictions, we're dead in our sins and trespasses. The, the second thing is that we are ruled by disobedience. And that means not just doing things that are wrong. I mean, the world kind of thinks, I think, maybe one of the views is that we're basically all right inside, and then we just fail on doing some things that are wrong here and there. But basically we're good. Now, we're not saying that. We do things that are wrong, which is a symptom of what we are deep in our hearts, that if we have a, a nature that is sinful, we sin because we're sinful. And indeed, before we become Christians, we can't even eat and drink without sinning and that might seem a bit a bit extreme to say that but it's true isn't it because what do we eat and drink for well we eat and drink in order to sustain our lives don't we and then what are we using our lives for we're using our lives for disobedience to God so before we become a Christian we can't even eat and drink without sinning so the first thing is we're dead in our sin. The second thing is we are ruled by disobedience. And the third thing we have is in verse 3. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. This disobedience, it... it um, it involves our mind and our body, our body and our mind. But the consequence of it all is that we're children of wrath. Which means if something doesn't happen to change the situation, one day we're going to stand before God on the day of judgment and we will find ourselves to be under his wrath his just reaction to our sin, which will be to punish us forever. And that is what Jesus is talking about when he describes hell. And that is what awaits the unbeliever. And that is where we were before we became Christians. So there are three, 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 three things. We were dead in our sin, we were ruled by disobedience, and we were children of wrath. That is what we were. So what are we now? It's the very opposite. And here we see the vast 
benefits that God has poured out, poured out upon us. So here we are. So here's the first thing. Verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive. If once we were dead, and there was nothing that we could do about that, we were helpless. We couldn't repent and believe because they are actions of life. But God has dealt with the situation. You see, he, out of his mercy, made us alive. And having made us alive, it gave us the life in order to repent and believe. A Christian, spiritually, has been resurrected from the dead. If you're a Christian this morning, you're a resurrected person, spiritually. And one day, your body too will be resurrected for the glory of heaven God made us alive this it seems to me relates to you know John 3 when uh, Jesus said you must be born again you know there's got to be a work of the spirit of God in our hearts before we can enter that having happened then we can enter the kingdom of God and here Paul is putting it in these terms that we've been made alive there is an essential there's a a possibility isn't there we've been told as Christians by the Lord Jesus at the end of Matthew 28 go and make disciples I mean that is an impossible task is it not we can't make disciples but what we believe is as we go and tell out the good news of Jesus then God will do this miraculous work and he will come upon people and he will make them alive and that's where our hope is that's where our encouragement is that reality is what keeps us going he made us alive well and also it says just a little bit more about making us alive in this verse it talks about it talks about um, his great love but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us made us alive. And when we remind ourselves that it's in that rebellious state that the Lord Jesus Christ was sent and died for us. I'm sure as we reflect upon uh, the bread and the wine as we take communion and we remind ourselves it was when we were dead ruled by disobedience children of wrath sinners that it's in that condition that Christ died for us and took the load of our sin upon him upon him how much he has loved us um, the other day I, I, I found myself uh, face, eyeball to eyeball with a spider um, it had a little tiny body and huge great long legs I, I don't know how you are with spiders usually I'm alright but on this time because it was just ooh, sort of thing you know uh, some people don't, really don't like spiders ooh, really creepy aren't they between myself as a human being and a spider there is such a vast difference isn't there such a huge gulf between a human being and a spider 
But that great gulf is nothing, is it? Nothing to the gulf that there is between us and God. And yet Christ came down from heaven, took to himself our flesh, and died for our sins to win salvation for us. 1 John 4, chapter, verse 9 says this, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but he loved and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. We need to sort of delve more and more into the immensity of the love of God for us. In fact, in Ephesians, um, uh, Ephesians uh, chapter 3, there is a prayer at the end of, of, uh, of chapter 3. And this is what Paul prays. He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that, you may, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love. May have power. Together with all the Lord's holy people. To grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. That you be filled with the measure of all the fullness of God. You see, Paul is praying there that they might come to know more and more and to appreciate more and more of the immensity of God's love for them. And he prays that they may have power. Can you pray for power? You need power from God as a Christian to appreciate more and more of the love of God for you. Don't we want that as we come round the table in communion Regularly, don't we want to know more about this love that God has for us in Christ Jesus? And it won't just be a superficial, oh, God loves me. Let's pray for that kind of working of the power of God within our own hearts and lives. And just one more verse on about love from Romans chapter 5 and verse 5. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit has been given to us. God's heart has been poured. God's love has been poured into our hearts. And surely that's, that, 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 that's to know that God loves us. He's our Father in heaven. He wants us to know and experience that we are loved by our Father in heaven, therefore, you know, going back to this verse uh, in uh, uh, these verses in Ephesians chapter two, therefore, being rich in mercy, God is rich in mercy. Mercy meets us at our need, and our great need is to know the love of God for us in Christ Jesus. And then it says, "By grace you have been saved." This love is ministered to us in grace. We don't we don't deserve to know it, but by grace. He reveals it to us. So we were dead, but we've now been made alive. The second thing is this, and we read this in verse 6. Verse 6. And we have been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus 
so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Here's the second thing is God has raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. We have a relationship with Jesus. But it's not with Jesus here on earth. It is now with the the glorified Jesus in heaven. That's who our relationship is with. The Jesus who is now seated at the right hand of God. And we're seated there with him, Paul says. We're in relationship with him. And what is Jesus? What does it tell us about him? Seated in the heavenly places. Well, he's there and it tells us about his position. He's the victorious one. He has triumphed over death. He's triumphed over sin. He's triumphed over Satan, all the powers of hell. He's the victorious one. He's the powerful one. He is the one with all authority in heaven and upon earth. And he uses that power with purpose. In Ephesians 1, verse 21, Paul says, that Jesus is far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and pointed him to be head over everything for the church. For the church. Christ has all authority in heaven and upon earth, and his purpose is to bring about all of God's people coming in, all those that have been chosen before the world was ever made to, to, to keep the protect the church, to keep the church, to protect the church and eventually bring all of God's people into the glory of heaven. See, he uses his power with purpose for the church and it is in the church it will be revealed the immensity of what God has done and he will be glorified forever. So there we are, in relationship, in fellowship with his heavenly Lord, in all his position and power and purpose. It speaks now of a life that is no longer orientated around the world. It's not a life now that is orientated around Satan. It's not a life that is now orientated around disobedience. It is orientated around Jesus as Lord. So instead of a life ruled by disobedience, we now have a life that is ruled by Jesus our Lord. What could be better than that? So once we were dead, now we've been made alive. Once we were ruled by disobedience, now we're ruled by Jesus the Lord Jesus Christ, let's call him. And what's the third thing? Well, we get this in verse 7, verse 7. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Once we were children of wrath. We were under the condemnation of God. But now we're in a position where the Lord 
shows the incomparable riches of his grace through the Lord Jesus Christ. We're under his favour. We're no longer under wrath, we're under the Lord's favour. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. That is not from yourself, it is the gift of God. Not by works so that no man may boast. You see, we're under grace. Grace, grace, grace. Not wrath, but grace. He gives. We receive. So this is, this is the great change that God has brought within us. Once we were dead, now we're alive. Once we were ruled by disobedience, now we're by ruled by the Lord Jesus Christ. Once we were children of wrath, now we're children of grace. So as we come to a close, let me ask you, do you know this in your own heart? Do you know what I'm talking about? Is this your experience? Do you know that you've been resurrected in this way by the Spirit of God, by the love of God? One day we will all stand before the judgment seat of the Lord Jesus Christ. Are we ready? Are we ready? I noticed this last week. There was um, a war veteran uh, that, that died. He was over 100. Uh, and um, it was kind of rather lovely looking back on his life. Um, a war veteran. Often when you, you, you hear about people in, in the news that have passed 100, uh, often they're asked, the question, what's, your, what's your secret? What's your secret? Uh, and then the individual may, may say something. Uh, and it seems to me that in all of this, there's, it's all about this life, isn't it? What's, the, what's your secret in this life? But not everyone lives to 100, do they? As we know. Some people die very young. You may know of some that have died very young. Really, whether we live a short time or whether we live a long time is not the issue. The issue is, are we ready? Whenever death comes, are we ready? Are we ready to stand before the judgment seat of Christ? Have we been made alive by his grace? And if you haven't, your only hope is to turn to Jesus Christ and put your trust in him. You can't do it yourself, but he can make you alive. He is the Lord that can do that. Will you turn to him this morning before you go home? Get ready to meet the Lord whenever it is. But if you already know the Lord Jesus in that way, look at what Paul says in that verse 10. He says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It means the Lord has good works for you to do. Works that will bring glory to Jesus. Works that will bring blessing to others, to other Christians, and will reach out to those outside of the church and make the gospel known. The Lord has good works for you to do. And so, as a Christian who has been made alive in this incredible way, we will want to pursue those good works, not in order to earn his salvation, of course not, but because we are saved. And if we are saved, we will want to commit ourselves in submission and service to him 
to perform good works that will honor him. So the Lord calls you to that today, to recommit yourself to that today. As we come around the Lord's table, to recommit ourselves to that as God's people. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we thank you for the immensity of what you've done. And it's all of your grace, Father. We haven't done anything. You have done it all. We have received of you. Lord, it's you that's made us alive. It's you that rules in our life to lead us day by day. It's you that pours out your grace upon us. Father, if we do not know these things, may your Holy Spirit bear in upon our hearts, upon our consciousness, the seriousness of these realities, that we may know conviction from you of where we are before you. And Lord, we will respond to you by your grace and your mercy that we might come to that point of trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ so that we are ready whenever we will be called to stand before you. And Father, as your people, help us as individuals, but also together in oneness of heart and mind to serve the cause of your gospel here in this place and bring honour to you. For Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.